This is the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast. Here's your host, Corey Tusick. This is the Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Tusick. On today's episode, I interview Greg Foss. Uh, Greg, I'm sure you've heard on other podcasts and seen him on Twitter um, under his handle uh, at Foss, Greg Foss. Uh, which is why I did the uh, Bitcoin. Or the, I did the uh, James Bond intro for him. Um, Greg is a been a, dealing with investments and finance for years since the '80s, and and um, now he has you know basically become a Bitcoin uh, strategist, and and he's working with uh, different companies about uh, using energy, wasted energy to uh, mine Bitcoin. Um, but he you know lived through the uh, financial crisis that uh you know was in the 2008 and and uh, has a lot of interesting perspective and and as he says you know he's the boomer generation that is selfish and has you know robbed uh, robbed the future of everybody that's younger than him um so you know uh he uh, he has quite the uh, perspective and uh, uh i really enjoyed my conversation with him um we get into a couple of different things you know we talk about he told me about how the banks were basically insolvent in the 80s um and he realized that whenever he started working for them um and and then you know he lived through the financial crisis and then you know basically the government's never paid down the debts and and that's uh, why we're in the situation we are in today um and basically how he figured, found bitcoin that way so we get into all that and more and it was a great conversation with greg i really enjoyed having him on um today's the show sponsor is coinbeast connect do you have questions about bitcoin personalize your learning and book a one-on-one video call with a bitcoin pro on coinbeast connect learn about mining security the lightning network DeFi, taxes and many other topics it's really easy choose your topic and pro select a date when you're available and bring your questions to the meeting room book your first call today by going to coinbeast.com and clicking on the connect tab be prepared for the financial revolution and get the knowledge you need thanks again to coinbeast and i really recommend you guys check them out Uh, if you want to get in contact with the show twitter handle is at bitcoin simply my personal one is at Tusik Corey, and the show email is Bitcoin Made Simple Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks. Um, so you're saying you get the you get the paddleboard a lot, and uh, and that's uh, Lake Ontario is beautiful. You know, just like Niagara on the lake. Uh-huh. I'm sure you've been there. Like, sure. so, so you live close to the lake where you can just go down and, and get in the water. And yeah, launch a board. And, you know, with the zebra mussels that are, uh, that have, you know, come into the Great Lakes system, um, the water is so clear. My buddy has a boat and one of the, one of the areas I paddle to, um, I just have a little course. And one of them is uh, I paddle around a buoy that's out in the, you know, it's not, it, it marks a channel to enter into a, uh, into a, uh, uh, yacht club. But, uh, I paddle around that buoy. I know it's 14, uh, meters deep there. And when the water's really calm, you can see down 14 meters. It's, it's, oh, it's wow. quite, it's quite remarkable that the it's, it's almost like you're paddling in the Caribbean. Uh, but anyway, beautiful. And now you also have to understand that Lake Ontario is more like an inland ocean. Like you can see some, like there's my, my kids actually surf right out in front of my house when the wind is blowing and when the wind is blowing in the right direction, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. The most, you know, the most I see Lake Ontario is anytime I'm in Toronto, you know, and go down by the, 
the lake, uh, you know, past the Rogers Center. And, sure. And uh, my son, um, he loves that little train. Like, you know where that roundhouse is? And there's all those yeah, restaurants. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. And then uh, you, there's two, actually. Are you talking about the one that's that's on Toronto Island or the one that's actually in the... Uh, it, it, so th- that thing has been taken away. It was called Steam Steam Whistle. There was a brewery there and it was where they yeah, used to change. Yeah change the uh, steam engine the, the the direction of the engine for the steam that that, yeah. that that thing is unfortunately i believe it's been you know removed for condo development but it it used to be a cool little uh i'm not uh, yeah. surprised that it's removed for condo development that had to have been in like let me think i think you know two septembers ago was when i was oh really um you know what it, it, it should probably have been a historical monument as well. Maybe it's just blocked from the view of the guard from the, what's called the Gardner expressway that you can't see it anymore because it's behind condos, but maybe, maybe it actually still is there. Who knows? Yeah. That, the amount of condos down there. Are- I just I don't get it either, but you know what? Half of them aren't even uh, well, half of them are certainly not owned by Canadians, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a way of getting your money offshore from uh some asian uh, asian countries no question yeah i mean you know it's interesting i've there's some filmmakers in canada that uh that i know that they're like oh yeah we legitimately just get millions of dollars from chinese um oh. people to like people from china that invest in yeah. films with them and then that gets their children out of China, you know, gets oh, them. Um, well, that's not, Oh God. I mean, it's, yeah, it's an interesting, I guess there's loopholes everywhere. Right. Interesting. Yeah, I know. And I was like, just sitting there, these guys are telling me like they're bragging and I was like, boy, I'd rather have people giving me money because I'm a good filmmaker not to escape communism. <laughs> <you know? laughs> oh, there's uh, a lot of holes in the Canadian regulatory and <laughs> federal and provincial, but anyway, we won't, we won't get there. So anyway, thanks for having yeah. me. Let's, let's talk some, uh, let's talk business. Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, um, I, I assumed the little video I made, and if you haven't seen it, I put it on Twitter saying who I was interviewing tomorrow. Was and that I the assume- one where it was at with the gun? I, I definitely think I sent it around. Was that? You? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You did. Because I yeah. actually had. I, I, I apologize. Eh? Like, no, and, no, no, and by no. the same token, I need to understand. You know, Twitter has so many different memes, not memes, but uh, people, their Twitter handles are different from, you know, from their email handles. And I can't figure out sometime who is who, you know, oh, but I, know. I appreciate that was a cool yeah. one. Yeah. Well, I figured because uh, you your Twitter handle is Foss, Greg Foss. Does that mean James, you're James Bond? Bond James Bond. So, you know, here's this is how, you know, I'm, I'm 58 years old, Corey. You need to understand that. When I got involved in Twitter, I had already passed my best before date. Okay. Like I was, <laughs> I'm definitely, I'm definitely the wrong side of uh, the, you know, the generations that embrace Twitter. So I tried to put in my name, Greg Foss, and uh, it had been taken. And even like Greg Foss one and Greg 12, but then they recommended what they say, Foss, Greg Foss. And I'm like, I'm never going to use this thing. So I'll take that one. I'm not going to forget it, but I'm never going to use it. And then all of a sudden, people started following me and I'm like, okay, well, I'm not going to change it. And uh, anyway, that's, <laughs> it's it stuck, you know, that's what I figured. I was like, it's either random or he's a huge James Bond fan. hundred percent random, but I do like James Bond, but I'm not vain that I would do it except that I thought I would never use this, uh, this Twitter, Twitter handle. Yeah. You know? So yeah. because seriously, this is what you guys need to understand. And I'm not sure you, how old you are, but 
I grew up, I graduated my first undergraduate degree. Well, I only had one undergraduate degree. I graduated undergrad mechanical engineering at McGill without ever having used a personal computer. And that's not shame (laughs) on me. That's just because they didn't exist. Okay. (laughs) And now there's more power in the iPhone that I have than was required to put two men on the moon in 1967. That's a fact. You have more computing power in your hand than was used to put two men on the moon. And that blows me away. And then this social media platform, you know, I was learning a ton on Twitter and then I decided, okay, well, I'm going to send out a couple of comments here and there. And sometimes they invoked responses. And then all of a sudden I got invited on a podcast and and that was it. It just, it started to, it started my, the first major podcast I was invited on was uh, Marty Bent, but I give all my thanks to the first podcast I ever got bought, uh, invited on was that, uh, two brothers from Ontario, or actually right in my hometown, Oakville, that uh, run a real estate office, but got involved in Bitcoin. Oh, They're actually nice. two, two Croatian brothers. And they, they run a podcast. And, and, and I've been back four or five times to be on their podcast now. And we always joke. And this was only about a year and a half ago that I first started with them. And that's the power of this, uh, Corey. And this is what's important to understand. Some people have a platform because they're you know, a sports celebrity, but they're dumb as a, you know, dumb as a plug. Right. And and then there's other people that are brilliant, but have no following. And those are the people I love, uh, love finding because uh, uh, you know, they have, so I've, I've just, you know, made, made uh, friends with like a a U.S. air force uh, guy, an airline pilot, a, uh, you know, and these guys are, and, and then a concerned father, for example, and then, yeah. you know, obvious Bitcoiners, but they're not out there. Uh, you know, they're not Elon Musk, but they are actually the guy that I'm talking to about the air force guy. He's definitely as smart as Elon Musk is. He just doesn't have however many followers Elon has. And he also yeah. doesn't have some of the hubris that, uh, the Elon has, you know, so, uh, it, it's just a really powerful platform. People need to understand it can be used for such good, but it can also be used for such, you know, less good. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I um, was talking to a friend about that and I said, it's, it's hard because honestly, if it wasn't for the podcast, I'd, I'd want nothing to do with social media <laughs> and, and uh-huh. just, you know, like my goal with companies I own and everything is like, Hey, let's just get to the point where I can hire somebody full time to manage that. Sure. Um, Cause you do get sucked into it. Um but uh but yeah that's i mean i've had a couple late nights over the past couple weeks uh getting on twitter spaces with <laughs> you know log scale and and a couple other people i don't know if you've i like that guy any, yeah yeah log scale he about again i can't remember i think i've met him i think i know who he is i certainly know who is what his handle is and i think we have a, a direct message uh uh, DM, uh, interaction going, but you know, there's so many different platforms and people have different names and handles on the various platforms. And I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm 58. Listen, I forget where I put my car keys sometimes, you know, and that's, uh, that's, that's what happens. So, well, Hey, you know, we're, we're in our thirties, but, uh, we forget where we put our car keys. All oh the time. yeah. I get you. You know yeah, what I'm we, trying uh, to say. But we, yeah. yeah, no, I know what you're saying. I'm just saying, I'm bringing up that we, that was like, uh, the biggest, uh, it's not out of, you know, oh, we're old, but uh, that was our biggest like point of contention between me and my wife. Like she would always just put them randomly. Just wherever. Uh-huh. I was like, I was like, put the keys in the same place every time. So then on at Christmas, uh, we got uh, 
at like a grab bag, luckily, just randomly doing like a the white elephant, you know. Okay. Uh, we ended up getting one of those key finders. Oh yeah, we just got four of them for for everyone but myself. <laughs> I'm the only one that's disciplined enough to always put my keys back in the same place because I know if I don't, yeah, then I'm in trouble. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I have three kids. We got one for each of the kids, and then we got uh, one for my wife. And yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's a well, it's a it's a handy little thing. We've we've used it a lot. Is that right? Eh. Okay. Uh, um. But uh. But yeah. So. Um. Yeah, Twitter, it's a little... So you've been on a year and a half is basically when you started doing podcasts. Yes, yes. And yeah. and you've been on the, a crazy ride, you know. I, I've had a lot of really phenomenal podcasts. I, I think I come at, you know, we're here to talk Bitcoin. So, and that's what I'm yeah. on Twitter for. I try and not talk about politics, although some Canadian politicians drive me crazy. Uh, I try yeah. not to talk about professors, although some professors drive me crazy. <laughs> uh, you know, but uh, what I what I do is uh, I try and learn because I I, ta- I tell you I've learned so much from Twitter that the, the universe. And uh, but then, like I say, I got the Marty Bent podcast sort of launched it into a into a, a different level of podcasts, and then uh, you know, talking about people that I'm so so. Uh, thankful to be on their podcast, like uh, Peter McCormick, uh, Stefan Lavera, uh, certainly Preston Pish, uh, Pomp. I got I got invited on Pomp's podcast, uh, and, and and this just you know it's it's really nice that uh, that the following uh, generally people have been very complimentary. Oh my gosh, thank you for writing that research paper. Uh, you know, I didn't. Uh, I've learned more from that research paper than I've learned in my. Uh, economics class uh, or finance class and, and, and whatnot. So, you know what, it, it's nice to be recognized for the efforts because I seriously am embarrassed by the boomer generation of which I'm part of uh, how selfish we are and how we've been continuously pulling forward the uh, uh, benefits at the expense of our children. Okay. That's, that's what we're doing as uh as selfish boomers, we're too soft. We, we, oh my gosh, we need to be rescued from everything. We need the government to tell us how to do all this stuff. And therefore the government should put money in, in our bank accounts just cause. And, and, you know, look, I understand I'm, I'm a capitalist with a heart, but at some point you need to understand the costs of doing all of this. Uh, I would call it artificial injections into the health of the economy. You are actually hurting the long-term viability of the economy with these practices. And I just need to say that I need to come out with that because, you know, it's only the future of our children that we are hurting. We're going to be just fine. Us soft old boomers, but that's pretty darn selfish. Yeah. And, you know, I can, uh, I've heard you say that before and I can, definitely feel that passion and the the honesty you know what i mean where you're like oh, god like we really we really stepped in it here guys um and uh you know in your background so you know explain a little bit about like what has shaped your view on that because you know i know i heard, heard you talk about you know sitting in that chair and and uh and yeah during the 08 crisis and you know i'm sure i mean how many so, years you did before that too you know? yeah so for your listeners um uh, my career has been as a risk a risk trader. I like to say that because it doesn't silo you as being an equity trader or a credit trader. Although I did focus on credit, I traded tons of equities. I traded tons of default swaps, which are basically insurance 
So the best way to describe what I've done for the last 30 years is trading risk. But it's, it's, it's perhaps good to give a background as to how I got there. Um, I was a, I grew up in Montreal. I mentioned to you, I'd never used a personal computer when I graduated from my undergrad degree. That was McGill university in 1986. All right. Hmm. And that's when I was born. Not to okay. So <laughs> I went, I went to McGill graduated in 86. Uh, I knew I didn't want to be an engineer, but I made it through the four years of engineering. Um, I love the, the challenge of the mathematical challenge and, I didn't actually know what I wanted to do because after all, who really knows what they want to do when they're, you know, in their early twenties. Uh, so it got to my fourth year and uh, I said, well, I better make a decision what I want to do. And I know I don't want to be an engineer. So why don't I see if I can apply to uh, any uh, business schools? And I wrote the GMATs and it was, uh, it was pretty successful. And uh, I knew I had decent marks. But I took a chance and I applied to one school in the U.S., literally one, okay? It was Cornell University. And it just so happened that I got lucky because I never would have been accepted at Cornell as an American uh, in their program, in their business program, because I had zero work experience. I had summer jobs, but I never had a full-time job. And, and generally, that's a, a very large consideration. But I think that, uh, that Cornell was trying to build an international business school presence. And they saw this kid coming from Canada and they said, okay, it's a good school he's graduated from. His GMATs were, you know, decent. Uh, yeah, yeah, check, check, check. No, no, uh, no work experience. Okay, well, we'll probably uh, give him a pass on that, on that basis. So I got in as a Canadian. I wouldn't have gotten in as an American, I'm pretty certain. Uh, and I was the youngest kid in my class. As an aside, um, I'll tell you, I got to live with a bunch of undergrads and that was really cool because I could bridge the gap between the business school and the undergrads. And these undergrads were uh, from the same fraternity I was from when I went to McGill. So there was a common bond there. And I, I lived with these guys. They were absolutely awesome. And they, you know, embraced me like one of their own. And that's how I got to learn the difference between the cultures of the two countries. And they are substantial. Uh, as an aside, as a side, sad note, one of my, one of those roommates was actually killed on 9-11. So, you know, I've experienced the, the heart uh, break of us uh, that, that a lot of Americans certainly. So I graduated from Cornell. I had a chance to return, excuse me, to work on Wall Street, but I wanted to return to Canada. And I uh, took a job with Canada's largest financial institution bank uh, called Royal Bank of Canada. Royal Bank of Canada was uh, in 1988 uh, wrestling with problem loans that they had made to uh, lesser developed countries, primarily South American countries like Brazil and Mexico. But they were insolvent. Okay. This is crazy. I started working for the Royal Bank of Canada when Canada's largest financial institution was essentially insolvent. Insolvent meant that it, the book value of their assets would be below the book value of their liabilities and the book value of equity therefore would have been negative if they had marked down those loans to the trading value that they were trading at which was about 25% or 25 cents on the dollar to the face value of the dollar that they lent. And the, here's the, the crux though. 
Corey, is Royal Bank of Canada was no different than all the money center banks in New York and all the global banks as well. The whole system was insolvent because petrol dollars had been recycled into loans, five-year loans that were made to emerging market economies that they were made in U.S. dollars and the U.S. dollar strengthened and these, these countries couldn't uh, couldn't make good on their contracts to pay the interest coupon in US dollars and they all defaulted and the Royal Bank of Canada was bankrupt. Okay. So was the entire global banking system, the first experience. And I'm like, hold on a sec. I just went to school. They don't tell you this in school. And I was working directly for the CFO. They're all supposed to know what they're doing, right? (laughs) Yeah. Well, here's the funny thing. None of the bank analysts had a clue either. It's, it's actually, it's actually oh. so scary. And I whisper in the ear of my CFO, I go, you know, we have a big problem. And he goes, I know, don't tell anybody. And, and, and I'm <laughs> like, what? What? Hold on. I just spent like X thousand US dollars to go to school to learn that you're supposed to not tell anybody about the fragility of the financial system. Anyway, this was 1988. Obviously, I bit my tongue. Treasury Secretary Nicholas Brady came out with a a solution called the Brady Plan. I know you're too young to to remember what that was, but it was a accounting gimmick that was brilliant, but it was an accounting gimmick gimmick that allowed the banks to skate themselves back on side over a period of 30 years to, to take those loans and those loans would accrete in value back to 100 cents on the dollar because they were backed by U.S. Treasury zero coupon bonds. Very smart solution, accounting gimmickry. And it honestly caused me to question, how is it then that depositors have confidence in putting their money into the banking system if this can happen? And the reality is because all depositors think that the banks are too big to fail. The government will be there to bail them out. And that was my first exposure to the Fiat Ponzi, okay? In 1988, I'm like, this is garbage. Like I just learned six years of university to go and find out that our our, our Fiat system is built and, and held together with masking tape and bailing wire sort of thing. Like, I mean, like what in God's, anyway, 1988, I said, I guess I accepted it. I said, I didn't become a gold bug, but I said, this fiat system is very, uh, it's it's built on sand. Okay. Yeah. It's pillars in sand. So, um, 1988, I started trading credit. I lived through 1998, another financial crisis Mm -hmm. that was led by long-term capital management. These brilliant Nobel peace prize or Nobel prize winning scientists, worked at a, at a large hedge fund that levered themselves 90 to one. That meant for every dollar of risk absorbing capital for losses, they levered themselves 90 times. Okay. And not only did they do that, they were selling volatility, which is an extremely risky strategy to the street. Cause when the street needs to buy insurance, they're essentially buying vol and they needed to buy insurance for various reasons, like the Thai bot, and there was crises going around. The Russian ruble had had experienced anyway. Vol was just exploding. Long term capital was 
selling insurance and Wall Street realizes, oh my God, all this insurance I've been buying from long-term capital, it ain't worth anything because they can't possibly make good on their insurance contracts. So they had to get bailed out. So that's the second bailout I've witnessed. Then in 2007, 2008, 2009, you nailed it, all right? That was really being in the trenches because the world was ending, okay? Sitting in a risk chair, managing, literally we were managing billions of dollars that could be vaporized overnight. Now, the funny thing was our trading positions were actually quite good, meaning we had anticipated the need to be risk averse. We had purchased protection, the problem is that if you purchase much like in 1998, when Wall Street was purchasing protection from long-term capital, if I had purchased this protection from a company like Lehman Brothers, which was one of our counterparties, and Lehman Brothers fails to exist, the value of my very valuable insurance contract, gone, yeah, right? Gone. So you're sitting there like, hey, I was bright enough to put these trades on in the right direction. But the whole system's unraveling, so I won't, I won't benefit from it. Anyway, very scary time. Uh, once again, what happened? Well, we socialized losses. When I say we, I mean the system. Uh, troubled asset relief program, the TARP program from the Fed came in and brought, bought up risky securities at the wrong price, but again, bailed out the financial system. Leverage from the financial system was transferred onto the balance sheets of the central banks again. And we had one final chance to pay it down. After 2008, 2009, if the governments had been disciplined enough to pay down the accumulated debts, we would have had a chance to get uh, uh, total debt to GDP and all the other credit me- relative credit metrics that are so important down to a level where you could continue to protect yourself against another implosion in the system, but they didn't do that. And every time they tried to, the markets had what's called a taper tantrum and everyone got nervous and all of a sudden it's okay. Well, okay. Okay, guys. Okay. Boomers. You just stop crying, Mr. Boomer. Everything's going to be all right. We're going to take care of you. And we didn't do anything. And the boomers continued crying and Everything looked good because the equity markets were going up, except that no one paid down the accumulated debts. Then we hit COVID. Then they turned on the taps again, the liquidity trap uh, taps. And it's funny, I said traps, and it's <laughs> turned into a trap. A trap yeah. We are into a trap. Okay. We it is mathematically impossible for the global uh economy to grow fast enough to out even maintain pace with the organic expansion of the debt balloon just due to the coupon or interest that's due on that debt. It's impossible, guys. It's over. You're not going to rewrite mathematics, okay? So stop telling me you're an mmt and you've figured out how to fudge the system again, you selfish SOBs, okay? <laughs> you are nothing but a bunch of crybaby little soft. And, and at the end of the day, I, I basically said, okay, uh, well, it's not, I said, luckily in 2016, I left the hedge fund business because we had completed one of our, you know, it's just an absolutely the best trade up until the, that point that I'd ever seen. And I found Bitcoin in 2016 and I was concerned about Bitcoin, excuse me, about the fiats, as you know. So I found something, I said, oh my God, I've been looking for this solution for literally close to 25 years and I found it. And my first 
reaction was like everyone's, oh, Bitcoin, it's a Ponzi, it's a Ponzi. And It'll then we hacked. looked into the, engineer of, the engineering of it. And it's actually so beautiful and such a brilliant technology. And I just fell down the rabbit hole hard. And everything was good um, because in 2016, you know, we're sort of skating along. We, I know it's going to be bad, but I'm like, it's not going to be bad overnight until COVID hit. And then it became bad overnight. Yep. Okay. And luckily, thank God, someone so brilliant. I don't even think he's from planet Earth. They call him Satoshi Nakamoto. I think he's from outer space. Okay. I actually think this system is so brilliant. And things that Bitcoin have built into the protocol, like the difficulty adjustment factor and all of this are so brilliant. I could not have imagined someone anticipating this 10 years prior to when we really needed it. And this is my message. We really need it right now because everybody has lost their minds in any position of power. This whole infrastructure, I'm using Marty Bent's uh, words here. It's a clown show. This is oh, an yes. absolute clown show. And, and, and these are the politicians we've, we've left our future in the, our kids, future in the hands of these buffoons like look i'm I'm, again i'm a boomer but i don't think i'm a buffoon these are buffoon boomers like this is ridiculous and yet they're career politicians you know neither justin trudeau the prime minister of canada or joe biden i'm not politically aligned but i will tell you that they've never done anything in their life like sitting in a risk chair. They, you know, in the case of Mr. Trudeau, okay, so he's been a drama teacher. Okay, there's nothing wrong with, wrong with drama teachers. Oh, so he also taught snowboarding. Okay, well, good. That's, that's great to teach snowboarding. Oh, and he had a real tough job. He was a bouncer at a bar. Good on him. And now he's running a country. And he says stupid stuff like, don't worry, the budget will balance itself. My God, oh. if he was the CEO of a publicly traded company, he'd be fired on the spot. His stock would get absolutely destroyed yeah. as people shorted that stock down to zero because the guy at the helm has the brain of a that goldfish. You know, yeah, like that sounds like a snowboarder. That sounds like what an irresponsible snowboarder in their like twenties would say. It would be like, uh, my account. Hey, my dad has the Mastercard covered. Let's go out. You know, it's just anyway. Look. This is, I'm, I, I tell the truth. It gets me into trouble sometimes. Um, I'm okay with that because if, as long as you tell the truth, you're on the right side of, uh, oh, of yeah. the, of the trade. Okay. And uh, Bitcoin, you know, that's one of my, my, uh, my little taglines is Bitcoin is truth. It's math and code. Math is the base yeah. layer of language and code is what ensures no humans can get in there and F it up. Right. Yep. It's like it's been written. It's defended by the world's most powerful computer. They don't go and say, well, we're going to move to proof of stake or, you know, Joe Lubin and uh, Vitalik have decided that, you know, uh, the, the sky isn't blue. So so they're going to change the color of the sky. Like, no, guys, th- this is truth. It's decentralized. It's the most beautiful technology I've ever seen. And let's talk why your clients or your listeners rather should, should own Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, you know, and the reason, because I heard you on a couple podcasts talk about it, how it's all math. And, and, uh, and so I'm like, well, I got to talk to you because my, I think I messaged you and said, 
my dad CPA. Okay. Um, yes. He's, he's, you know, they're retiring and all that kind of stuff. So he doesn't even want me to talk to him about taxes anymore. I try, but, <laughs> but, um, but you know, my entire life, he said to me and my siblings, you know, everything is math, math is in everything, you know? And, and so you sit there and you look, I mean, it, it's literally in like the way you cut the grass, the way you do anything, it math is involved. And, um, nice. and whenever you can view life through that, um, scope, you start to realize that like, there are mathematical um, limitations. You can't, you know, it's just like physics. There's certain things that you can't escape from. And, um, okay. and you know, so I'm, I was fascinated by that, you know, like what you just said about how it's mathematics. We can't get out of it. So, you know, basically you got to look for the raft, like the Titanic's going down, you know, I mean, it's actually to compare to the Titanic, it's very similar to, you know, you're looking at it, you looked at the blueprints and everything, and you said, all right, look, it's math, and this ship's going to be at the bottom of the ocean within an hour and a half, you know, and everybody's like, oh, my God. So right now, what do you do? You you buy Bitcoin. You get on a lifeboat if you're on the Titanic, yeah. um, unless you're you know, and, and a man. Here, sorry to jump on top. I love your thought process, but something comes to mind, and this is in important for people that live in privileged nations like, you know, certainly United States and Canada. Um, maybe the U.S. is the Titanic, but there's 180 other fiat currencies out there that are, some of them are rowboats. Some of them are not even a rowboat. It's like, you know, they're, they're a couple of uh, uh, inner tubes strapped together. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and they don't need to hit the Titanic. They just need to hit a, uh, you know, a coral reef and they're done. Like, you know, yeah. like, uh, uh, and, and this is what happens all the time. And that's what we need to understand that. Um, I, and I want to be clear. I don't want this to be the Titanic. I mean, I don't want to hit the iceberg. There is a way out of this. It requires some huge discipline and it actually requires young kids like yourself getting the word out, um, you know, because there's fiat currencies, which are programmed to debase. Those are 100% mathematically programmed to debase because of the debt spiral that, uh, that we've got ourselves into. Uh, we can talk about the mathematics of that, but it's pretty simple. I always say it's mm -hmm. grade 11 math. Let's not confuse ourselves too much. It's just uh, fiat currencies are programmed to debase. Fiat currencies always fail. So we know for sure the US dollar is going to fail at some point. We just don't know just when. A matter of when. And the yeah. best thing that we hope is that it will continue operating for as long as possible because we don't want the Titanic going down. Yeah. Yeah. We, you know, I mean, especially because like you said, the people that have inner tubes or, you know, rowboats, they not only are out in the open sea in the small vessel, but they're, they have a rope that's tied to the boat that's going down. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Eh? But the, you know what? The funny thing is that the, the guys on the boat are like happy to say, Oh, there goes another one. Well, okay. So that's only in the inner tube. We lost a couple of inner tubes and we lost this rowboat and everything. That's a problem, right? That's what's called the, uh, uh, to an extent, it's the Cantillon effect. It's it's you know treating the 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 top of the uh, uh, of the wealth spectrum. Uh, everyone benefits here at the at the cost of everyone lower down on the totem yep. pole. So you're right, but you know Argentina has defaulted four times in my career, <laughs> four, and yet you know okay, well they keep getting more money lent to them because that's how the system works. 
Um, Imagine trying to do that with a mortgage. Like, I, you know, I have yeah, four foreclosures. Yeah, pretty, pretty sick, eh? You know, and uh, the, the banks can give me. Yeah, a so this is why everybody needs Bitcoin. Very simply, why? Because Bitcoin is protection against this insanity, because that's what it is now. It has reached the point of insanity. We have guys that have never passed a math course in their life saying, oh, well, we can take down another trillion. And it's only going to cost us 258 billion in uh, in in missed revenues and uh, or deficit rather, and that's so funny because they assume all the other stuff doesn't matter. So yeah, this one's only going to cost 258 billion over 10 years in deficit, and we don't care about all the other ones whose accumulated deficit was like literally. 50 times that size, you know what yeah. I mean? And so like, it's, again, it's living in the here and now, not ever paying back what you borrowed in the past. You're just pulling forward future uh, benefits from your children. So go ahead. You can, you can justify it by pretending that this one program in isolation, not worrying about any of the other programs that were used viewed in isolation is going to be just fine. And I'll just say again, I bet you that's some lazy, conflicted boomer that's saying that because they want to get reelected for another four years and sit in their useless position of saying that the world is fine. You know, everything's going to be good. We just lost, uh, you know, a little bit here. It, 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 guys, yeah. gosh, it is so dangerous. And uh, I'll, I'll give some of them the benefit of the doubt that they're, they don't realize what they're doing, they, yeah. they, they, they're not telling the truth because they're too dumb. Yeah. But the people that do realize they're not telling the truth, that's criminal behavior. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, I'm always reminded whenever I think of these situations uh, of something somebody once said to me was, you know, whenever I became an adult, I expected there to be grown ups around me. You know, like, as hey, a kid, yeah. you're like, I've never thought of that. Gr- yeah. 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 All of there. a sudden, you're the grown up. And then you get to the grownups and you're like, nobody's acting like a grownup. Like, this is really irresponsible. Like, you know, yeah. we're not when nobody's, you know, so so we have the the debt spiral that we're in, you know, um, I mean, oh God, whenever, let's see, how big of a, what was the stump speech for 08 um, whenever both McCain and Obama were like bashing Bush for how much money he spent? and and how big the debt was like i can't even remember what the number was but i'm sure it pales in comparison to where oh, it certainly now. does i wish i knew what you were saying you know like i mean there's there's one uh statistic that i i remember even back in 1988 they uh would measure the amount of debt measured in dollar bills if you stack them not end to end but one on top of the other uh would go from the earth to the moon I, I remember that one. That was even back in 1988. Okay. Can oh, you imagine God. where it goes now? Uh, uh, maybe that's their way to, you know, do interstellar travel. <laughs> but, you know, gosh, damn. it's, it's, it's really sad when even the political system though, you understand is, is uh, no one's going to win a reelection if they get, if, even if they win their first term by going up there and saying, I'm going to be frugal, uh, all yeah. of these government programs. No, we're, 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 we're it's going to be a recession because we need to, you know, not a recession, but it's just going to be, well, if they don't do it right, it becomes a recession. If they do it under uh, disciplined financial management, it still causes a lot of pain to people who have a vote and they're not going to win on yeah. that platform. And if they get in office and do it, 
they're not going to win another four year term. So yeah. like, it's just, it's funny, right? Like the, it's, there's it's mixed never incentives. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just going to keep going down. I so well, it, it is because that's, that's hundred percent guaranteed. So what do you do? You have the fiat system. You don't store any of your value in fiat money because that's guaranteed to go down over time. Okay. Mm-hmm. But you don't get rid of it because fiat is good for. You don't buy a trampoline with it. <laughs> Why so? Just the, no, just for the sake of, uh, I honestly. A, a trampoline maybe is not so bad. Maybe at least you can lose some weight by jumping on the tramp. And yeah, that's like true. That. That's, and you could, it, whatever you could sell it for at a garage sale probably. Oh, yeah. More, but here's the, here's the crazy thing. Holding holding well so let, let's start first principles yeah money has always been a technology for storing the value of your time or your energy that you expend today you need to store it for use in the future okay yeah and and that's what money has been and you know think of i i think back to when i was 20 years old before you were born because it was before 1986 <laughs> I was working on hot roofs in Montreal, pounding shingles into hot roofs in the summertime. Let me tell you, I may have, I may have earned on a really good day. I was making about four bucks an hour and we probably worked 12 hour days. All right. So I made 50 bucks that day. That's even yeah. before taxes, but I didn't pay taxes. I was a, a student. I made 50 bucks. Let's assume I never spent that 50 bucks because I have more savings now than I did then. And, and some of it rolls forward. But that $50 of time and energy that I spent on a hot roof, improving the value of that house, by the way. Yeah. You, what do you think it's worth today? Do you think it's worth my 12 hours of work that I spent? My no. God, no. It's not even worth probably $15, one five yeah. in today's money. And what could that one five dollars buy in terms of energy? I don't know. Maybe a Big Mac and a couple of other things that I could burn for energy that would be worth, again, like one hundredth of the amount of physical energy I put into that roof. So what is what is money? Money is a store of value over time and space. Fiat is not that. But what other things can be? And that's what Bitcoin is. Bitcoin is digital energy. You store value in digital energy for use in the future that you know will not be debased or stolen from you as the money printers continue to make more dollars to pretend that everything's okay. Uh And people will say, well, look how much money I'm making on my valuable real estate. And I'd say, how are you measuring that? Well, just in terms of dollars. And I'll say, well, it's not your house that's actually going up in value. It's the unit of account or the dollar that's falling out of bed. And so you don't store your time or value in fiat, but you do use fiat for facilitating transactions, you know, uh, commerce, uh, uh, international trade. That's okay with fiat, as long Mm -hmm. as everyone understands the math of fiat is a dollar today is going to be worth a lot less in the future. Even though it's still a dollar, the purchasing power of the dollar today will be far higher than the purchasing power of the dollar in the future. Mm-hmm. And that's how I always look at things from a mathematical uh, perspective from an engineering hat. And then if you bring financial markets into it, I spent my life in bonds and bonds are only math as well. Mm-hmm. And their contracts 
And they're beautiful things if employed properly. But right now, the bond markets have totally lost their touch with they're reality. Not employed because, properly. <laughs> yeah, because the, the 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 QE and everything is distorting the the signals so much. And that's just you know, so that's the U.S. buying their own bond or the the Fed yeah, that's buying fair. bonds yeah. from the U.S. Yeah, is that right? So the U.S. is buying 120 billion dollars of bonds. The Fed is buying it from the from the um, uh, the government, uh, the Treasury, essentially to uh, uh, grease the wheels of quantitative easing to pay for the programs that they are out there saying, uh, "Well, this will grow our economy by such and such." Again, it doesn't matter how fast the economy can grow within uh, relative uh, historical context. The economy would need to grow at at least 15 or even 20% annualized from now until the end of time just to pay down the debts that we have accumulated. Okay. It ain't going to happen. Don't talk to me about, well, it could, it could, it could. Just full stop. It is absolutely impossible for it to happen and approach your store of value appropriately. Mm -hmm. And that's what Bitcoin is. Fixed supply, the most perfect technology of storing the value of your time and energy for consumption in the future. Okay? It doesn't get any more, more difficult than it's that. It's beautiful in its simplicity. You know, I mean, it's a very complex system, but also in some ways it's very simple. I, um, I believe it's the most beautiful technology I've ever seen. And I also believe it's the best asymmetric trade opportunity, meaning the best investment opportunity for the risk that I've ever seen in 32 years of managing risk. Wow. Well, that's good. That makes me feel good about uh, aping into it. And, um, and that was uh, the, I mean, seriously, quantitative easing when I learned, when I learned that that even existed, like, I can't believe that that's not known more widely, you know, that this, basically you don't learn about it in school do you you don't learn about all these little uh you know special and 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 if you don't learn about it in school someone who's never actually gone out in the world and worked which means most politicians they don't know it either (laughs) implicitly so they just assume what they learned in textbooks and they believe these clowns like stephanie kelton uh you know modern monetary theorists but she teaches at stony brook college in uh upstate new york like there's no no problem with Stony Brook, but they've never managed a bunch of risk in their lives. Okay, like yeah. it's just it's really dangerous to listen to these armchair quarterbacks who've never sat in a risk chair, who've never understood what it feels like when the world is imploding and your unit holders are demanding their money back, and the world there's no bid to anything. You're just like, well, how do I sell or how do I unwind this trade? Everyone is you know hunkered down for the end of the world. And, you know, and what happens then? Well, you just tell your clients, I, we never had to do it because, uh, you know, we were in a, in, in a more favorable position. But I imagine you just tell your clients, well, look, you're gated. You're not getting your money back. So thanks for giving me your money. And now you're not getting it back because I was too stupid in managing your risk that I can't uh, give you your money back. And, yeah. and, you know, that's what the system is. And it seems to me like that's what Miss Kelton thinks the world is. Oh, OK, well, we'll just we'll just you know, it'll be fine until it isn't. So let's just assume my little accounting gimmickry works here. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a shame that that's what everything is built upon. Um, 
and you know we if we don't i don't know it, it, you you speak about like politicians trying to get reelected and everything like that and i had this radical thought and i mean it would have to be flushed out but i don't want to be a politician but maybe yeah. if somebody's listening and they want to uh, you know, step up and, and uh, they're thinking about politics and they want to do the right thing. But I thought with all this money printing, what if what if somebody came out and said, hey, look, because like you said, nobody, if you come out and say, look, we got to pay this debt down and fix everything because it won't happen. Though, out, Corey, yeah. Even now, you see, it's now it's impossible. So even someone who ran on that platform has failed math themselves because you yeah. cannot do the impossible. We're never going to pay it down. Let's be honest about that. You just need to be certain that your fiat dollars will start and continue to debase, but at an accelerating pace. Okay. That is the mathematics of it. Yeah. So protect yourself accordingly. You maybe will have politicians that will run on a Bitcoin standard in the future. And if U.S. was smart, they would embrace Bitcoin as the future reserve asset of the world and couple that with their reserve currency fiat status and have mm-hmm. both sides covered because we That's need a-, a reserve asset in the world. And we also need a reserve fiat currency. God, you know, I love the USA. Like I've lived there. Yeah. Canada would be a absolute basket case if we weren't the Northern neighbor of the yeah. United States. All right. And why? U.S. has the biggest economy, the, the, the most brilliant entrepreneurs. Uh, actually, their, their form of governance or government is actually uh, pretty solid. Uh, yeah. It's still a clown show, but it's better than anything else. It's better there. than all okay. the other clown shows. Yeah, that's, that's correct. It's better than all the other clown shows. I think Margaret Thatcher may have said something like that or whatever. Oh, but, yeah. uh, you know, here's the, uh, here's the funny thing, or it's not even funny. Um, you're not going to solve it. So don't try. Just adapt another system that will save your uh, store of value. Think of fiat as being your checking account and think of Bitcoin as being your savings account. And if the US could control both of those, which as a nation that's built everything that they have, they should do, man, oh man, it would be brilliant. The Chinese have basically just said, hey, we don't want this Bitcoin mining stuff. It's, not a, huge it's opportunity. a gift. It's a gift to the rest of the world. We know what China's all about. You yeah. know, you can pretend that China's going in the right direction, and they seem to be until they stop. Just yeah. because some guy decrees that that's it, Alibaba is doing some stuff that's challenging my power. Like I, I just, gosh, it's just so crazy to me that the U.S. hasn't absolutely embraced this opportunity that China's handing to them on a silver platter. Yeah, that's you know. And that's what I was going to say is that, like, what if what if somebody ran on the, the platform of, you know, hey, Ted this- Cruz, man, Ted Cruz. I mean, you know, there's guys like that that let me tell you the smartest people. So I went to McGill Engineering. Michael Saylor is the smartest walking mainframe computer I've ever met, because most of the guys <laughs> that I went to school with at McGill that were just as smart as him. They understood the mathematics that he understands, but they couldn't put it into words. They were like, you know, but math. Oh, yeah. If you You sit down with a spreadsheet, they're just like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Everything's cool. But try and explain how you got there. And it's it's like talking to a wall. Right. Yeah. Uh, Or even worse, it's like talking to, you know, uh, uh, someone who's short circuiting because they can't combine the first layer of language, which is math with the second layer of language, which is your mother tongue. Okay. So Sailor does both beautifully. Um, But 
outside of that community of those smartest people I've ever met, the Bitcoin Twitter community could be the combination of the most truthful, the most intellectually uh, uh, aggressive, if you will. They challenge everything. They like, don't take this at face value. Show me how this works. And this is so assuring for me because it's done by a lot of the young kids. Okay. So you're pretty young, but these guys that are 10 years junior to you. Oh yeah. I just interviewed Dylan LeClaire. Oh buddy. That's exactly who I was just thinking of. Dylan is a a frigging God. Okay. He's closer in age to my young children than he is to me. (laughs) That blew my mind. So I have a son who's seven years older than him. Okay. And I'm good (laughs) with it. And my son is a great guy. But he's great at different things. He's just not as good as Dylan is at putting things together. Um, my, you know, I have three kids. I'm, I'm, I've done okay in life. Uh, if you measure life by savings and 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 that, but there's way more important things than that. What I oh, don't yeah. want to leave my children is a world that's unraveling because we have these clowns that are in power. Because I think you were referencing this. Most people who are smart and motivated, they don't want to go into politics. Yeah. It's, it becomes almost a zero sum game, right? Well, I used to do, be doing good, but now it's impossible for me to do good because I'm trapped in this political system. And, and that's a shame. But the people on Bitcoin and the Bitcoin community, these are good people. They, they want to accumulate wealth. Gosh, there's nothing wrong with that. But they also want to use it for good. This are, these are people that want to help people at the bottom of this yeah. uh, economic totem pole. So, you know, what's happening in El Salvador is beautiful. What's happening with the adoption of Bitcoin in uh, Africa is helping, mm-hmm. you know, other citizens that otherwise would have no hope. And, and this is, if you want to snuff this out because you're too selfish, again, because you're pr- protecting your elitist, World Economic Forum garbage and nothing and be happy. (laughs) You know, it's just, yeah, it's just, it's actually sick. All right. It's really sick. And uh, let me tell you, you know, um, there's, I've never again, I'll have to say it. I've never again seen such spineless behavior in my whole life than listening to some of the drivel that comes out of Lagarde's mouth that, uh, very large individual that runs the uh, Bank for International Settlements, um, Steve Hankey at Johns, Johns Hopkins. If I had a degree from Johns Hopkins degree d- university right now, I'd be utterly embarrassed that that value of that degree is depreciating faster than the fiat currency itself because Steve <laughs> Hankey is such a moron. Okay. So, so like, I mean, you, you yeah, got to speak out. Right. You got to speak out against this stuff. Well, and Bitcoin Twitter is so good at that. And and like I, I say to people all the time, I love how skeptical Bitcoiners are. Like, you know, whenever people go like, oh, you know, why can you trust it? You know, isn't something going to, you know, break it? I'm like, you don't understand Bitcoiners. Oh, yeah. They look at it like they, they lay awake at night thinking of ways that this is going to fall apart and they haven't figured it out yet. They haven't figured yeah. it because it, it's not going to happen. And, um, and lastly, you know, we were last night talking about, uh, and by the time I put this out, it'll be, you know, the bill will be signed into law with the whole language of, you know, what, what they're going to do with, um, you know, crypto and all that, the exchanges, right. but uh, in the infrastructure bill. But we were having an interesting conversation last night, um, and I, I'm curious to get your thoughts on it. 
we're saying, you know, basically what you were saying of like, there's this opportunity, you know, and I was like, in very simple terms, if, if, uh, if somebody came out and said, Hey, look, we're going to print stimulus, but we're actually just going to, we're going to print this money for you. And it's going to come to you in the form of Bitcoin. And that will go down, that will go up in value. Trust us because this fiat currency is going down. So like, okay, that's not going to happen. But like you said, um, you know, this is a gift. And so we were wondering last night, like, do you think that maybe there's some people and, you know, I, li- I live on the side of like, they want to control you completely. So like, you know, don't get excited that they're trying to pass something that looks Bitcoin friendly or anything like that. Um, but the fact that they're, they're singling out, you know, proof of stake as, as opposed to proof of work um, in this bill, apparently. Um, and like I said, it'll be in law by the time this comes out, but uh, or at least in the house. But do you think that the U.S. is starting to wake up to it? Because, I mean, even the White House came out in support of that last night and they said, yeah, no, we should, you know, the one one of the amendments to the, you know, the new drafts, they were like, let's do this one. Um, and we're all like kind of hypothesizing. We're like, why would the U.S. all of a sudden, you know, Elizabeth Warren at the beginning of the week was like talking down about Bitcoin and then. All of a sudden, like a couple of days ago, she started to walk that back a little bit like, well, you know, we need to have confidence in the system. And I can't help but wonder, like, did some of their rich donors like tap them on the shoulder and say, hey, 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 uh, you know, Matt, this system's going down. And the only way to save it is to adopt Bitcoin. Y- 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 there's enough smart people in the USA and it's still free enough that freedom of speech uh is you know is still so ingrained in your in your truism in 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 in, uh you know shaking out the fraudsters or the fudsters from their untruths uh i i believe that could be the case i mean look though like bitcoin is engineering it's it's the first law of thermodynamics it's it's conservation of energy every single improvement in human productivity and human uh, quality of life is due to improvements in energy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can go right back to the stone age and then fire. I mean, it doesn't get more difficult than that. And then, you know, the, uh, the use of, uh, 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 hydrocarbons, people say, Oh, that's horrible, horrible. But you know, you, you argue, uh, uh, look at the, the, the productivity that's gained on the other side and mm-hmm. the, uh, the quality of life, and other solutions that come along. So energy, every single uh, improvement in human productivity has been based on the back of improvements in energy. Well, Bitcoin is only digital energy. That's all it is, all right? It is a, a technology that was built in time to take care of the tomfoolery that we are experiencing today. Like, luckily, it was built 10 years ago, and it's been tested over 10 years to be able to have the uh, robustness to, you know, stand in the think of what's been thrown at Bitcoin in the last, you know, six months, you know, Chinese miner ban, uh, Elon FUD, uh, uh, this this law that, uh, you know, talk about this law being, uh, you know, negative for Bitcoin miners in, in, in America. The, um, the one thing that I think America fears more than anything, and this is what makes them beautiful, is that they fear stopping innovation 
and then some other country embracing that innovation that they could have controlled in their own backyard. So why is there an apple that lives in the U.S. but gets all their manufacturing done in China? Why is there a Google, a Twitter? Why are all these founded in the great nation of the United States? And Canada is a great nation, but Mm -hmm. we have nowhere near the pro, you know, the the appropriate amount, even though we're one tenth the size of you in population, we don't even have close to one tenth of the innovation that the U.S. has. And why is that? Well, because again, culturally, I lived in the different countries. I know how the truest of Americans believe in their freedoms in order to ensure that they will continue to be at the forefront of technological technological innovation. Yeah. That's what Bitcoin is. It's a technological innovation that allows you to store energy. Yeah. Point final. Okay. It's like, that is it. Don't overthink this thing. Don't think too hard about it. That's what it is. It is such a thing of beauty. It will allow you to transfer value to your children. And it will not be debased by some politician that gets in and says, Andrea or AOC, all we need to do is print more money and we're going to print more money. Uh, she clearly hasn't thought that through. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's it's so funny, yet it looks good on a soundbite on TV. Oh, we'll oh print yeah. more money. Um, I, I just ask people to do the math, to understand that being intellectually lazy is the worst thing that you can do for your children's future. Okay? Don't don't make them suffer because you were too lazy to do the homework to understand the truth of the situation that we are in. And it doesn't yeah. mean I, I want this Titanic to hit the iceberg. You're just, it means that I want the man. Titanic to see the iceberg, to realize that there are two solutions. One is a savings account, which is your Bitcoin. And one is a checking account, which is your U.S. Oh, yeah. dollar. Yeah. Uh, fiat. Don't overthink it. And if you are able to manage both of them as a reserve currency fiat and a reserve asset, Bitcoin, man, oh man, the US is going to be or continue to be unstoppable, particularly since China, basically, again, their playbook was, oh my God, I do what I always do in China. Because my system doesn't work. And anyone who gets smart enough to challenge my system, like Alibaba, that's it. I close them down or I I restrict them. You know what I mean? So, so gosh, this is, I'm a Canadian. We just don't have the firepower or the chutzpah to, to make this happen like the United States could. And as an, as a Canadian, man, oh man, I'm going to try my hardest, but it would be better if it was the U S that did it rather than Canada. I'll even say that. Because it's the USA and Canada is a really great place, but we're a rounding error. We're not even as large as the state of California. So as proud as we are of everything we do at the end of the day, yeah, come on. You you don't matter, kid. Like, thanks for coming to the table, but it's the big boys. And I want the USA to do the right thing for my kids and your kids, because if they do it for your kids, my kids get the, the wake, the, the Titanic makes a big wake, okay? And yeah. it can suck a lot of these rowboats along in the wake and be very happy 
uh, to do so. So, you know, that's what Canada is. We, we are a great country, but the reality is we're about 5,000 kilometers long and we're about 100 kilometers wide. Uh, yeah. 80% of the population in Canada lives within 100 miles of the U.S. border. That, that blows my mind. I've, yep. I've seen that statistic before where you look at the vastness of Canada, you know, okay, like, but like, think about it. Every single major city in Canada, with the exception of Edmonton, is with 100 kilometer, 100 miles of the U.S. border. Right. Yeah. Montreal, Toronto, Ottawa is even there, but Ottawa is not that big a, uh, a city. Uh, Calgary, Vancouver, Winnipeg, all within 100 kilometers of the United States border. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's vast country and yeah, there's a lot of stuff. i tell you what, there. once you get on the other side of Toronto and you start going, or, you know, Toronto, Ottawa and stuff, and you start going North, you're like, whoa, whoa, where is. Oh, it ends quickly. Yeah. It ends quickly. There's not a lot of roads. Okay. There's, there's like one road and it turns into, it turns into gravel pretty quick. And when I say pretty quick, I mean, you know, a, an eight hour drive still, but that's not that far. Like. No. You know, the beautiful thing about the United States is that it's a grid. Like, think of your highway system and yeah. all, everything that it connects because it goes north, south, and east, west. In Canada, we have one road. It goes east, west. That's it. That's our road. It's called the Trans-Canada Highway. Yeah. And it's, it's not even as good as your Interstate 79, okay? Yeah. Like, there's, there's two lanes on the Trans-Canada Highway, and there's four lanes on every single major interstate in the United States. It, it, anyway, different strokes for different folks. Um, yeah. I still well, love I, Canada. I, I, I'm proud to be a neighbor of, of the United States. What I'm most proud of is the community of Bitcoiners that, that don't have, uh, uh, they, don't, they don't form borders. And, and I've just made a relationship with a bunch of people down in Central America that are really going to change the world for their future. And they're the ones that are working on the ground in Guatemala and El Salvador to, uh, to bring the Bitcoin standard to those people that have up until this point truly been the uh, less privileged. And in some cases, the ones that are always abused, right? Yeah. And uh, if you have a problem with that, uh, Ms. Warren and uh, all these other politicians that call Bitcoin something nefarious, you haven't done your homework, and you are just trying to continue the privileged elitism that you have been lucky enough to being born into. Yeah. So I want to help the world change in a positive way. Uh, and this kills two birds with one stone because uh, the people are screwing it up pretty darn well in the privileged nations. Yeah. You know, and, and that's not good either. Yeah. Um. Well, I appreciate that. And, and before I let you go, I have to, because you mentioned your, your uh, theory on Satoshi. Um, and so my, my audience has heard me say this a couple of times, so they're probably going to roll their eyes, but I got to get your opinion on it um, because you mentioned, you know, Satoshi could be from, you know, space or, you know, or anything okay. like that. Um, and I had this theory. I, I say that it's, you know, I mean, it's probably like Hal Finney or like a group of people, you know, uh, okay. that, uh, in the cypherpunks. But I have this theory that there's a 1% chance, and it's definitely a better chance than Craig Wright being Satoshi. Okay. Um, <laughs> but that Satoshi is from the future, and they figured out a way to, uh, through programming and code, be able to reverse uh, communicate into the past just digitally huh. so like you know because people always talk about the uh, they talk about time travel like oh well you know okay. you're never going to time travel but it's like well, what if what if there was a way to talk to the past through code and um so this group in the future 
they said, "Bah, man, this whole world fell apart. You know, where did it, where would it, if we had a sound money system, that would, that would have fixed it. And then they go, wait a minute, we could do that. Here's this code. We come up with Bitcoin. All right. When would be the best time to introduce it? And you look back and they go, well, how about 2008 during the financial crisis? That'd be a great time. And then they go, you know what? Actually, that's perfect because that is 12 years before COVID, whenever the money printer just goes I off the wazoo. I mean, this is cool. I like the way you think. I mean, this is, I'll tell you what, it's not impossible. Is that fair? It's yeah. absolutely not impossible. Uh, when I signed off with Pomp, and I'm, I, I love your podcast, I love, there's no difference between your podcast and Pomp's, Pomp's podcast, is yeah. he goes, do you believe in aliens? And again, I just say it's only mathematics. What yeah. do you think the chances are that there is not life form somewhere else in the universe? Now, he could have asked me if these aliens have visited Earth yeah. in a little more specific I would have also said mathematics would dictate that I think that is a possibility. Okay. Um, so therefore, yes, it's possible. The, what you're saying is exactly the same thing. I haven't thought of it that way. And I have to admit that, you know, some of these sci-fi movies that make you think about, you know, your energy, uh, what you are is nothing but energy. And uh -huh. are you really there? Uh, that's a little freaky for me. I try and keep it simple in, in grade 11 type math. Maybe I'll bring a little calculus in here and there, but I can't get into all these other uh, yeah. fifth dimensions and all that stuff. I just, you know, my brain isn't big enough. Um, I never was smart enough to do that stuff. Uh, I, I will say, yeah, possible. Uh, all I will say living in the here and now and looking you right in the eyes, this is the most important invention that has been granted to civilization, in my opinion, to solve a lot of the problems that we are bringing upon ourselves. We have no one to blame. Yeah. We've brought these problems on ourselves and we continue to bring them on and, uh, you know, use Band-Aid solutions on a hemorrhaging, uh, on a, a hemorrhaging wound. Uh, look, you need solutions. This is the solution. It is simple, it's mathematics, it's truth, and it's hope. It is hope for the billions of people in this world that have never had the opportunity to sit in front of a computer like you and I are doing and talking across borders. Like for a, a large portion of the world's population, what we are doing right now is as crazy as what you're thinking about time, time uh, yeah. travel and everything, right? Like it's all just a relative, uh, uh, everything is relative. So look, I, I love the fact that you had me on, you've stumped me. I'm not going to think too much about it. I'm just going to yeah, say yeah. that's possible, but it's not going to change my life one way or the other. I just, no. I work with what I can uh, work with in the here and now. Uh, we have been granted this beautiful technology called Bitcoin, and I'm going to do everything I can to, uh, get people to embrace it, to hedge against the shenanigans of the irresponsible and selfish boomer generation. Yeah. Yeah, no. And uh, uh, I think that's the, the thing we're all doing is trying to get as many people to adopt it as possible and, and, um, and understand, you know, why it's so important. I agree with you. It's the most beautiful, uh, you know, invention, you fix the money, you fix the world. Um, and yeah, and I, I really do. It's my filmmaker mind. That's where I come <laughs> up with this idea of like, oh, maybe it's from the future. And could be, and man. It, Look, it totally... I told you, I don't think. I think it's the most brilliant thing. How could you possibly have have thought about these intricacies 
uh, you know, uh, difficulty adjustment factors and, and the like uh, that, that are coded in the, uh, in the, in the protocol. And, and then it's decentralized enough that it can't be changed. You know, like mm-hmm. it's, it, 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 it passed the, the, the point of no return. It could have been, you know, shoved aside when it was a bunch of cypher punks just trading Bitcoin from, uh, yeah. CPU, you know, but now it's, 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 Oh, it's in, ingrained and it's it's unstoppable in my opinion. And then people will say, okay, it can be stopped because uh, let's just assume we have these quantum computers. Well, if the world can break the Bitcoin blockchain using quantum computing, we have a lot bigger things to worry yeah. about than the Bitcoin uh, code being being uh, hacked. I would start worrying about nuclear uh, nuclear codes before I worry about uh, before Bitcoin I worry code. about uh, uh, the Bitcoin blockchain. Okay, uh, don't overthink it. Get exposure. If you have zero Bitcoin, you are taking more risk than if you have an appropriate portfolio allocation. Okay, that appropriate amount is according to your risk profile, but yeah. zero is not the answer. Okay, yeah. owning zero Bitcoin is absolutely very risky. You need to own some. The question is how much, and I'll leave that mathematics up to you guys. Awesome. Well, hey, thanks for coming on. And, you know, to everybody out there, I say this is, I mean, this is literally why I did the podcast. I was like, okay, I put everything into Bitcoin. So I need to do this podcast literally for me to learn from the best minds in there. And I think you're one of the best ones out there in your explanation. Um, so everybody follow Greg and uh, and get in the space and and even if you don't have a Twitter account, you know, get out there, start talking to people and reach out. I, I I'm 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 quite open. I try and I you know I I don't think I'm smarter. I'm certain. Let's put it this way: if I'm the smartest guy in the room, we're in big trouble. Okay, so let's make <laughs> sure that the community bounces together and just builds off of each uh, uh, of of everyone's specialties. I'm pretty good at I, I'm pretty good at a very uh, I, I'll stay in my lane. I know what my lane is, but when it, look, you ask me how the code is written and my eyes gloss over. I used to be good at coding Lotus one, two, three. Okay. You guys yeah. don't even know what Lotus one, two, three is. Okay. So I heard you the, bring that up on the Peter funniest thing like, ever. Oh, I was world. actually quite good. I was actually quite good at writing macros. And I still remember my, my keys and my, the keystrokes. And, and yet, that doesn't matter. Thank you yeah. for coming, Foss. You're 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 a pleb, and I'm a very proud pleb. So uh, so reach out to me if you need to. Otherwise, just keep learning. And I thank you for having me. It's uh, it's a pleasure to be on your podcast. So uh, maybe we'll do it again sometime. Uh, I, I'm always available. 